You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. First Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. It says, when I came to you, brothers, for that person online whose mother was treated for his surgery, um, I see you, I've prayed for you. Everything is going to go well in the name of Jesus. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The crucifixion of Jesus is at the crux of the Christian message. And when we gather like this, we are not gathering to learn about any other thing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, when I came on to you, he says, I didn't think it necessarily to learn about any other thing but Jesus and him. There must be in our pursuit of knowledge a level of exclusivity that only permits the knowledge of the crucifixion of Jesus to thrive in our lives. Listen, let me tell you something. The gospel is not true. The gospel is not random. You must have heard when Jesus said that broad is the way that leads to death. Is that correct? Or destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life. Jesus wasn't saying that the way that leads to life is difficult. No. What Jesus was saying is that in opposition to the way that leads to destruction, which is plenteous, is multiple, you have many ways that lead to destruction. The way that leads to life is just one. And hence it is narrow. There is only one name given under the heavens by which man should be saved. The name of Jesus. The, the specificity of the gospel is what makes it a narrow way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Our gospel does not adapt to situations. Another interesting thing about the gospel is that anything that existed in the Old Testament or before Jesus came cannot be the reason Jesus came. What am I trying to say? I'm saying that if people were healed of their sickness, before Jesus came, then Jesus could not have come for the sole purpose of healing the sick. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If dead people were raised before Jesus came, then he could not have come for the sole purpose of raising the dead. If people were made wealthy, and I believe God prospers, but Jesus could not have come to make people prosperous if people were prospered before he came. Does this at least make sense? Which means that whatever Jesus came to give is the one thing that all men needed 
that all men did not get under the ministry of the law and the prophets. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you know that Jesus didn't even come to display power? Relatively, when you read your Bible, the most dramatic displays of power are in the Old Testament. Is that correct? No New Testament person called down fire from heaven. What did Jesus come for? Paul said, I sought to know nothing else except Christ and him crucified. If you do not understand the importance and the impact of the crucifixion of Jesus on your life, you don't know the gospel. You don't. You don't. The gospel is not that Jesus can make you rich. It's not. The gospel is not, you know, I heard someone say that the gospel is good news in whatever area you need good news in. So, do you need a child? The gospel is that the Lord can give you a child. Do you need money? The gospel is the Lord can make you rich. Jesus can make you rich. Do you need healing? The gospel is that Jesus can heal you. The truth is Jesus can heal you. Jesus can give you a child. Jesus can give you, um, can prosper you. But none of those things are the gospel. The gospel has to be useful to every man. Rich or poor, parent or not. Healthy or not? <laughs> Do you hear me? There is a nation in this world, I think it's Luxembourg, where their life expectancy is, I think, about 83 or 85. They are wealthy. I think um, by gross domestic products, they are the richest country in the world. If the gospel is about money, what do you preach to those people from Nigeria? And if Jesus can make you rich, they will tell you, fix your naira first. Then talk to us. I know you have money in your account. Do you have cash? You don't have cash. And you are telling me. The gospel has to be useful to every man alike. And while I was preparing for this miracle service, the Lord just asked me to reiterate what the gospel is. Just re-preach on the gospel. Because you ought to hear it. We need to hear it. Let me tell you something. If I cannot preach the gospel to Aliko Dangote, because he is rich, he has children, he has cars, as far as we know, his mental health is not suffering, that's as far as we know, right? His mental health is not suffering. So, what gospel do you want to preach to him? Jesus makes rich. He will ask. He will ask you. I don't have Jesus, richer than your dad. Probably richer than your pastor. He'd be correct. So, why do I need Jesus? Oh, Jesus prospers you in your academics. So, well, were there unbelievers in your school that did better than you in school? Uh, <laughs> on, on, I think on Forbes Top 10, all of them are either atheists, 
agnostic or not Christian. I don't think there is a proper Bible-believing, church-going Christian on the top 10 richest people, like list in the world. In fact, there is an aspect of the gospel that calls you to let go of love for material things. Whatever we preach, whatever we speak to people, whatever we teach people, whatever we proclaim as the gospel has to be useful to every man alike. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2. You know what? Before that, John chapter 1. There are crowns. I really hope I get to this message. John chapter 1, we'll read 44 to 51. There was a story that evolved. It says, Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. This is not my point, but allow me to make a point here. Do you know how many disciples Jesus called by himself? Raise your hand if you know. Raise your, it's not a trick question. Raise your hand if you know. How many disciples Jesus reached out to by himself? Okay, how many disciples did Jesus have? Okay, so we all know. How many of those 12 did he reach out to by himself? Do you want to guess? Four. Four. Of the 12 disciples, he reached out to only four. The four reached out to the remaining eight. Listen. Many people will only find their true calling and destiny when you introduce it to them. That's why you need to be vocal about your faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not just your faith, but if you've been blessed, be vocal about it. Because notice, Philip met Nathaniel and said, ah, we found the one that Moses spoke about. You do realize that it wasn't a common thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like everyone thought Jesus was the Messiah. At this time, Jesus had not blown. He was about to start his ministry. People didn't really know him like that. The biggest thing that had happened in Jesus' ministry at this point was that he went to be baptized and then John the Baptist declared something about him. And then depending on how you want to look at the story, it's either John the Baptist stood and cried, this is my beloved son, this is God's beloved son, with whom God is well pleased. Or there was a voice from the heavens and everywhere thunder. And then he left the water. And after he left the baptism, he, he disappeared for 40 days. So the gist died out. They didn't see him again for 40 days. He went to the wilderness to pray. And there he was tempted of the devil. And then the gist died out. So he hadn't blown. But he met Philip, changed Philip's life. And Philip was smart enough to tell Nathaniel that. 
Come and see the one that Moses spoke about. It is the Bible order to speak about the things that change your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? If it took that practice for Jesus to amass his 12 disciples, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Anyway, that's not my point. Let's just keep going. It says, verse 46, Nathaniel asked Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, here is a true Israelite. There is no deceit in him. Now in verse 48, you know, Nathaniel was going to meet Jesus for the first time. And Jesus makes this bold statement about Nathaniel. So Nathaniel asks him, verse 48, how do you know me? Have we met before? And then Jesus answered. Nathaniel asked, before Philip called you, no, Jesus answered him and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, Nathaniel's predisposition changed. See, because when Philip told him that there was this guy who Moses spoke about, the prophet, the Messiah, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But then he approaches Jesus, and Jesus, you know, by word of knowledge, says, here's the true Israelite in whom there is no girl. And Nathaniel's next response is, Rabbi, Master, our teacher. But Jesus replies with something very interesting. Verse 49, Rabbi Nathanael replied, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? He said, I assure you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Why is this important? Because Nathanael was a Jew. When Nathaniel heard that statement, the first thing his mind will go to is Jacob's story. Remember? Where Jacob laid his head to rest and he opened his eyes and he saw the heavens open and he saw angels ascending and descending and he called that place Shiloh. Do you remember the story? But what Jesus was telling Nathaniel is what Jacob saw in a vision, I will actualize in my life. Where Jacob saw a vision of heaven opening and closing, I will be the entrance. I will be your access into heaven opening and closing. So what Jesus was teaching Nathaniel is, you will soon learn that the Son of Man is the only way to get to God. Does that make sense? And he said to Nathaniel that, see, don't just believe me because I had a vision and had a word of knowledge about you. He says, you will soon learn to believe because I am the only way to God. In so doing, Jesus exalts the teaching of his death, burial, and resurrection above the miracle experiences. Listen, what differentiates us from a shrine is the word of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? What differentiates us, the Christian faith, from going to a shrine is the word of God. That's the reason why you can't just do anything in the name of miracles. 
Are you following me? Miracles cannot be the yardstick by which we judge the authenticity of a ministry. There are many miracles out there. Nathaniel came and Jesus told him something and Nathaniel said, wow! Like many people do. You know, you see a miracle happen, you hear a word of knowledge that you've never heard before, the accuracy of it, it befuddles you. You're like, my God, this is truly a prophet of God. Nathaniel goes, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. The Philip that brought him has not gotten to king of Israel. He just, in fact, he didn't even call him son of God. He said, because Moses' prophecy was that another prophet like him will arise. So he said, ah, come and see the prophets that Moses was speaking about. He is really a good prophet. He gave Nathaniel a word of knowledge. Nathaniel said, ah, rabbi. They didn't tell him to call him teacher. But he has called him rabbi as teacher. Then you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus rebukes that habit. Jesus rebukes that behavior in saying, do you believe? Because you, I told you I saw you under a tree before you came. He says, soon you will see the Son of God. Angels ascending and descending on the Son of God. The Son of God will be the gateway into heaven. You will see it. Then, then can you call me the Son of God and the King of Israel? This is why we believe. This is why we believe. Many people have turned church into shrine. It's all about miracles, um, prophecy, miracles and prophecy. Miracles are good, prophecies are good, but they are signs. By The Bible calls them signs, is that correct? By very definition, a sign is to point you to something. Is that true? A sign is to point you to something. And the sign of these miracles don't point you to the fact that Jesus and that God is real. No, that's not what the miracles were given for. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that nature is proof that God is real. Is that true? So what then were the miracles given for? Acts chapter 2. It is in his name, through faith in his name that we have done these things that you see. The signs are to validate the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that how can we um, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It says it was first spoken by the prophet and it was attested to by God through various signs and wonders which we see. So the signs and wonders that we see are supposed to attest to the salvation that comes by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Do you hear? So, why do we have miracles in the church? We have miracles in the church to attest to the salvation message. If the message is not preached, the sign has been misused. If you heal an unbeliever, he is just a healthy, dead man. He will still die. Do you know? And then his true eternal or her true eternal destiny will then begin to play out. 
If I pray for this person who is an unbeliever, they've been looking for a job, then I pray for them and then they get a job that pays them one million every month. Very nice salary, fat check, take home every day. He is rich, he is wealthy, Lord prospered him, but he's just a rich, wealthy, prospered dead man. It be the equivalent of spraying perfume on a corpse. It may smell nice for a moment, but make no mistakes. <laughs> its true nature will show forth. Praise the Lord. This is why you must know the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? In Matthew chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus was sent to save his people from the power of sin. Listen, sin is not just choices. We've, we've thought about sin as if it's just people's choices. And so we blame the unbeliever for making the choice of sin. The Bible says that he that is not born of God, he says he's not able to please God. Do you understand? He says because his mind is enmity against God. His mind cannot, his mind doesn't know what it looks like to desire to please God. There's a power of sin that Jesus came to save the world from. Listen, the biggest deliverance doesn't happen in church when we cast out devils. The biggest deliverance happened on the cross when Jesus delivered us from the power of sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? It, it becomes imperative that we know exactly what the gospel is. How to preach it. What do you believe? Many Christians, this, are you a Christian? Yes. What is the gospel? God is good. What does that mean? Do you know that the gospel is not that God loves you? Do you know? Say God loves you. That I have, God loves everybody. Do you hear what I'm saying? Everybody. Sinner. Or righteous alike. He loves everybody. It was Jesus that said that God causes the rain to fall on the sinner. And, and he causes the sun to shine on the sinner and the, and the righteous. When Jesus was saying that, he wasn't saying that God is punishing them. No. When he was talking about sun and rain, he was talking to a predominantly farming community. The two things they need for success is sun and rain. <laughs> he was saying that those two things is God that causes it to happen. And it doesn't happen to just the righteous. No, he causes it to happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. So the gospel is not that God loves you. There has to be a definition to that love. So, now, we meet, we, we meet someone and want to talk to them about the gospel, want to talk to them about Jesus. We don't just say God loves you. We say, no, no, no. God sent his son he, he showed his love towards you in this way. He sent his son to die for you. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Mm. 
Titus chapter 3 verse 3. I won't finish so that we can pray. Titus chapter 3 verse 3. It says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived. Are you looking at Titus chapter 3 verse 3? Read the next line together. Everybody wants to go. Enslaved by various... Notice that the word he used here, Paul used to Titus, is enslaved. Listen. Salvation is beyond behavioral modification. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't, you can't tell a sinner to stop sinning. Just tell him, stop sinning. He can't. You that you are righteous, you are still struggling. Your flesh is still struggling. And you have the Holy Ghost to help. Now imagine a man that doesn't. Enslaved. Christ came to break that curse. So when we are preaching, this must factor in. He says, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. He says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, what was this kindness that appeared? Jesus Christ. Next verse. He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done. Say not by works of righteousness. Not by works of righteousness. Say it out loud. Not by works of righteousness. Do you know that a key part of the gospel when we are preaching it is that salvation comes not by the works of our righteousness. Do you know? It's an important aspect of the gospel that not one of us can ever work hard enough to earn salvation. It doesn't come by the works of our righteousness. It comes by his work alone. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But guess what? We are saved by grace through faith. Do you hear this? And this is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Romans chapter 3, Paul asks, what do we have 
that we have not received. Where then is boasting? He said, it is excluded. By what law? By the law of works? No, by the law of righteousness. Boasting is excluded. Nobody is going to get to heaven and eventually go there and say, I made it. You didn't. Do you hear me? You did not. <laughs> you did not make it. Everybody, when we finally make it to heaven, when we finally get to heaven, and we look to Jesus, the first thing on our lips would be, thank you. Not the picture that many people have. I'm running a race really running with all my energy and you know all these people are trying to pull me down but no my eyes are fixed and I'm running and do you need to be focused? Yes. Do you need to run? Yes. <laughs> but you're not going to run and get to the finish line and Jesus will come and say well done oh good I say wait first please give me glucose because this race I'm tired. No. By the time you get there you would learn something important. It is God who is at work in me. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The one who began a good work in my life. He will perfect it. Are you following what I'm saying? Not of works lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. So I bask in the freedom that God has given to me. It's a free gift. David even understood it. David said, we are grateful that you do not impute sin. That's because if the Lord counts sin, who shall stand? Do you know the answer to that question? Nobody. Not even you. You will not stand. Let me introduce you to yourself. You are wicked. You are only made good by the grace of God. In your heart, you are wicked. We all are. <laughs> we lie, we cheat, we, we have wrong thoughts, wicked intents towards other people. Sometimes you even shock yourself with how wicked you are. How do you want to stand before the thrice holy God and claim that you've been good? You want to stand before him and say, I tried my best. Do you know, the problem is that many of us don't understand the criteria for judgment. Think God is judging just your actions? No. He's judging you in word, in thoughts, and in deed. Maybe you try indeed. In word. In lose, you are not serious. And then, imagine if God recorded it. Say, you are not serious. Somebody I died for. He's not serious. Michael, write it down. Some of you, that's how you joke. Stop it, Joy. You're not serious times two. <laughs> then let's not get to the fact that he listens to your thoughts. <laughs> None of us can walk for salvation. Can we agree? None of us can walk for salvation. None of us. Do you know that there's such a thin line between temptation and actually falling for it? Because falling for temptation doesn't happen when you have carried out the action. No. Falling for temptation happens when you begin to consider that the temptation is good for you. Eve did not sin when she ate the fruit. 
Eve sinned when she saw that the fruit was good and desirous to make one wise. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So God hears your thoughts. You know all those thoughts that you've already gone far in the temptation that you now catch yourself. And no, 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 no. You've already seen the sin. Amen. Amen. Aha. <laughs> he saved us. He says, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Because what would we have done if it wasn't there? It says, according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified in his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This is the gospel. For reference, Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. You were once foolish. <laughs> foolish does not mean you didn't have sense. It means that your life was in opposition to the wisdom that is God's way. Do you understand? It's the same thing Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1. Where he says, deceiving themselves, they became foolish. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God to the image of four-footed beasts. You, their foolishness was playing out, even if they thought they were wise. Said so this was once you. Some of us never had an exploratory stage of our lives. We've been good people all our lives. I mean, good as per moral standards. You were head boy in primary school head boy, head prefect in secondary school, council, um, council president, or student union president, or council chairman in university. I mean, you've been good all along. But guess what? In sin did your mother conceive you. So you still need salvation. <laughs> Do you hear... Jesus came to break us free from the power of sin. You have been broken free from the power of sin. Do you hear? You are no longer debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. You owe a different master now. It says you are debtors to the spirits. It's different. It says for the law of life has made me free. From the law of sin and death. I have good news for you. You may be struggling with contradictions and propensities. Addictions and whatnot. But guess what? Listen. That addiction is not who you are. Jesus has made you free from sin and death. Do you hear what I'm saying? Somebody described um, salvation, the gospel of Christianity as the miracle of changed desires. I believe it to be true. You see, because I taught you that the origin of sin is inordinate desire. 
What the Holy Ghost came to do is to walk in you first of all to will. That is to change your desire. Are you getting this? To will. That is to change what you want to do. To change your desires and then to do. So things that when you were in the world, when you saw Christians doing them, you never understood why it made sense. Why are you praying for four hours? Why? Why are you praying? For, what, what is your problem? What exactly is wrong with you? Why are you praying four hours? Then you, the Holy Ghost taught you. You came for campfire. We said pray. We started praying. One hour, two hours. When we said in Jesus' name we have prayed, you said, ah, we don't. You can't understand where it came from. It came from the Holy Ghost in you. That's salvation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Salvation is not about a list of regulations. It's about the presence of a regulator. One who will change you from the inside out. He will make your life beautiful. When we preach the gospel, we're not trying to stimulate people intellectually. Paul said, I didn't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. He said, I came to you in demonstrations of the Holy Ghost and power. So we preach just the Holy Ghost. We preach, we, we preach in order that the Holy Ghost may be, he, he may be enthroned in people's lives and hearts. Praise the Lord. Pray in the language of the Spirit. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.